0: I've been sober for a year, so on this episode, I'm going to talk about it. And welcome to the Concast, a podcast where we discuss all things health, wellness, and injuries in an attempt to better understand the human body. This is episode 145 and the first episode in season five of the show. And so, before we get into today's topic, I just want to again thank everybody for engaging, liking, sharing, and supporting the podcast over the first four seasons. It's been a really humbling experience trying to refine my ability to have conversations with people as well as flush out these health-related topics on my own. And so I really appreciate the support that everybody's given me over the years and and hope that, again, I've offered some value. And today's episode's really no different. Before we get into the kind of meat and potatoes of today's topic, I do just want to outline that the topic is related to alcohol. And I understand that for some people that can be a a triggering topic, so if it is for you, I'd invite you to just click off this episode and there are 144 other great episodes on varying topics that you can check out or revisit some of the topics that you may have listened to. The reason that I wanted to flush out an episode like this was more for myself to be self-reflective, as well as there may be people that are interested in this topic and interested in either reducing or eliminating alcohol consumption. And so this topic is about what has worked for, for me over this past year and some of the reasons why I decided to make this, this choice or this decision. This is the lens by which this topic will be fleshed out, mainly my experience over the last year. And I think that when I think about why I chose to do this, it was really the podcast that caused me initially to make the decision. So on episode 114, which I guess would have been in the fall, I believe, two years ago, I did an episode called Alcohol Consumption. And in that episode, it was discussing the updated Canadian guidelines for alcohol consumption. And uh, I'll link that episode in the show notes below. But the gist of that episode was... You know, the more recent research on alcohol has indicated that there are no positive benefits, regardless of some of the things that we have heard, like the red wine and cardiovascular health, that type of thing. So they're very clear that there were no positive benefits of alcohol. In fact, that there were a lot of negative consequences of alcohol that maybe I took for granted or didn't necessarily consider. And it was going through that meta-analysis that I realized there are significantly more acute and chronic alcohol-related deaths than, than smoking, for example, and I would never smoke. I also was wrestling with the idea that for some reason there's substantially more social acceptance towards the consumption of alcohol than smoking. And this got me thinking, why is it that I drink or why do I consume alcohol? And there are, you know, there are a few kind of general reasons as to why but one of the primary reasons i learned was when i was recording episode 143 which is the episode that i'm really the most proud of this was an episode that caused took a while to for me to record and because it was looking back at you know being an introvert and what that meant to me and trying to understand how to navigate you know if it's life or social situations decisions based on being an introvert and I talked about at length my experience as an introvert and what I've learned over the years and I think that a lot of the reason that I would consume alcohol socially was because when I was reflecting back on that episode I was pretty uncomfortable in a lot of social settings particularly in those social settings where you're out at a party or an event or in the evening. And the thing about alcohol is alcohol makes you inherently more social. It will drop those sort of critical voices and make them a little bit less loud. And by virtue of its chemical effects, just inherently make you more social. And for someone that has these inherent feelings of social awkwardness due to being an introvert and maybe not necessarily understanding their own personality type at certain points in their life, you have a tendency to isolate yourself from social settings that you may not want to go to where everyone else may or may not be drinking. One of the other things that comes along with drinking in social settings is social pressure. And as an introvert, I just don't, Enjoy social pressure. Some of the other reasons why I I think that I drank was alcohol feels good. For many, it's fun, it's an escape, it's a de stressor. The list goes on with some of the reasons why we rationalize why we might drink. And I would not be any different than anyone else in these categories. You know, it's fun to go out, it's fun to feel the effects of alcohol, it's fun to be a little bit more social really what it boils down to is it becomes this behavioral thing. You do it because you've done it before. With my alcohol consumption, I'll be very honest that it wasn't a thing that I was doing. Like I wasn't drinking during the week. As I got older, my alcohol consumption was reducing, which I think is quite typical. I wouldn't say that I was dependent on alcohol. But if I was drinking, it would be on the weekend And I would say somewhat regularly where I'd maybe have some drinks on Friday night, Saturday night, and then kind of not drink throughout the week and then repeat that process. So this got me, after this episode 114, it got me thinking about if there aren't really any true positive effects of alcohol. And the other thing that that I talk about in that episode is, you know, Canada as a result of that meta-analysis, really scale back alcohol consumption. I think it was from something like 10 to 13 drinks for men and seven-ish for women to two, regardless of whether you're a man or a woman. So it was really, really scale back. And even with two, they said that there's no, you know, to avoid absolute risk is zero. And so you're still assuming some risk with Uh, respect to drinking two drinks and before we get into sort of even more of the meat and potatoes of lessons learned this is again just my personal decision I think that people have a number of different reasons why they choose to do things and I think that everyone is able to make that choice for me the the real reason as to why I wanted to try this was it just wasn't making me feel good I've never really tolerated alcohol well in that you know, when I was younger, I would get really bad hangovers, it would, you know, sometimes last for days in, you know, university days where you're drinking a little bit more, and the older that I would get, the worse that I would feel, and for me, it would terribly disrupt my sleep patterns, um, and as a result of that, it would carry over to other areas of my life, things like anxiousness, less resilience, less tolerance, irritability, heart palpitations and this isn't again as if I'm going out and getting drunk every night this could be on as as few as one to two drinks disrupting my sleep patterns that much if you're doing that even two or three weekends out of the month you're never really getting back into a groove where your sleep feels good and if you listen to other podcasts of mine you know that you know sleep is just one of those really really restorative things that we have And so for me, I just, the longer that I looked at this, the more that I realized that there just really wasn't anything positive for me there. Over the past several years, I've been cutting alcohol out for periods of time where, you know, I won't drink for a month or six weeks, kind of bookending the year. And I felt that in those times, you know, my sleep was better, my mood was better, I was a little bit more productive. I was already at this point where... A couple of months out of the year I wasn't really drinking and that time frame seemed to be getting longer and longer and I was a little bit more interested in lengthening that time frame out so on January 1st of 2023 I decided that you know I was going to start the year alcohol free as I've done many years over And then a few weeks into that, I decided that 30 days just didn't really seem long enough. I was coming to, you know, week three and a half, and it just didn't really seem long enough. My sleep was still not great. I still wasn't really feeling great from a a mood standpoint. So I decided to push it to three months at that point. And then around two and a half months in, I just decided I was just going to do the year. Again, there wasn't really a, a specific decision or reason at that point for For trying to go for the year. I just felt like, again, at two and a half months, I felt much better, but I wanted to be able to see what it would be like to go an entire year and whether that would be difficult and what were some of the lessons that I learned along the way. These are some of the things that I've learned about alcohol consumption, what I've learned about cutting alcohol consumption out. This is Mostly through my lens, but also some conversations with a few people that I've had throughout the course of the year. I didn't really tell anyone that I was doing this. And the reason that I didn't tell anyone is, you know, previously on the podcasts, I've said that I'm going to do things and then I haven't been successful at them. So, for example, on prior shows, I've said, I'm going to meditate for a year. Uh, Every day for a year. And then I haven't been successful. You know, I've gone a long way, but I haven't completed the year. And I've done that on two different occasions and haven't been able to complete it. So with this, I wanted to take the approach of I'll discuss it when I have completed it and when I've earned, quote unquote, the right to discuss it. So for me, it didn't maybe one person, one or two people knew. Really, really nobody knew that I was doing this. Some people... Gradually, towards the end of the year, if I were out with people for lunch or something, I would have told them. But for the most part, it wasn't something that I openly discussed. So number one is, um, the first thing that I would have learned is at the time of doing something, you may not realize that you rely on something until you remove it. This can be in varying degrees. And on other shows, I've talked about this idea of 21 days to form a habit and how That's really not true to form habits and behaviors. It takes a long time to change behaviors. In some people, it it might form relatively quickly. But in the majority of the population, with all the nuances of people and all of the different variables that come into play, to change a behavior takes quite a bit of time. And when you try to change a behavior where you're removing something, regardless of whether that is alcohol, TV, phone use, something that is often giving you a neurotransmitter hit of dopamine, you quickly realize when you try to remove it that you might think about it more than you thought you did. For me, this wasn't in the form of craving, but more in the form of habit. So for example, Friday night, if you come home and you regularly pour yourself a glass of wine, then habitually on a Friday night, you're going to come home and think about pouring a glass of wine. And I would say that this habitual thought stuck with me for certainly more than a month. I would say two months, maybe. By three months, it was definitely gone. But for the first couple of months, you would think about it. And again, it's not necessarily, I mean, some nights, maybe there were a a craving attached to it. However, the majority of times it was behavior-based. The reason that I say this is, A lot of people talk about the removal of X, Y, Z, something that they see as not serving them positively or well anymore. And then in the same light, they will say, well, you know, I could do that, but I just don't want to. You know, that speaks to this idea that doing hard things are often quite a bit more difficult at times than we think they might be and we don't realize how difficult they are until we actually try to take the step to remove that from our life and this brings me to the next thing that I've learned about about this topic at large and this is speaking with some other people over the course of the year is this idea of bargaining in things that we don't want to remove from our life and the classic thing That I always think back to with bargaining is, and I think a lot of people that are around my age that are listening can relate to this is, you know, remember when you were in high school and you were dating someone or somebody else was dating somebody. And the topic, if somebody wanted to break up with someone was, well, when do I do it? For example... Let's say they went away to university and they're coming back and it's Thanksgiving. Well, I can't break up with them at Thanksgiving because it's Thanksgiving. But then it's it's too close to Christmas. And then it's New Year's. And then it's the dreaded Valentine's Day. And then after Valentine's Day, it's Easter. And then, like, someone would bargain. they'd be like, after Easter, it's Canada Day or Independence Day. Like, it's it's just this idea of... I don't want to make the difficult decision, so I'm going to bargain my way out of it. And I think that cutting something out that we enjoy inherently is no different than that. I will cut it out after this trip. I will cut it out after this dinner. I have this important wedding that I'm going to. The thing about the consistent bargaining is we'll never learn to cope and manage by continuing to bargain. The likelihood that we will start and finish something is less when we continue to bargain our way out of these things. For me, if I truly wanted to be able to do this for a long period of time, then you have to be going back to, you know, my personality type. I have to learn to be comfortable in social settings. I have to learn to accept the criticism of maybe, Social pressure to drink. I have to be okay with that. I have to come up with some tools to make myself not feel as socially anxious or allow that criticism to kind of wash over me and not get hooked by the particular emotion that someone else is trying to project onto me. The other thing that I learned is this idea of, and I've talked about this on other shows with respect to healthcare in general, is expectations versus intent. I'm going to remove this in hopes that X. I'm going to remove alcohol in hopes that it improves my sleep, improves my mood, and improves whatever, heart palpitations, let's say. And if I've learned anything over the last few years, is that the moment that you're able to rid yourself of expectations and intent, you relieve yourself from the hooks that they kind of impart into you or or you often hold on to. So, for example, I really want my sleep to get better. It's been six weeks. I'm still sleeping poorly. You know, I did this. This was supposed to help, so it's not helping, so I'm just going to go back to the behavior. The expectations that I had for improving sleep, mood, etc., coping strategies, all that, it did get better, but it took a longer time than expected i would say that you know many months i don't know exactly maybe 6 months maybe even 9 months before i would say that i felt really really good the other thing is that even if you remove the one thing and again this is probably the case in in my decision as well Even if you remove the one thing with that one expectation, those things that you're trying to improve, sleep, whatever, they may continue to be disrupted because of other things in your life. It's not like you remove A and it's directly related to everything that you're going through. And so just because you implement one behavioral strategy or you remove something that you don't see as serving you, it doesn't mean that everything gets 100% better all of the time. And furthermore, things might get better, but life is this undulating experience of ups and downs. And so it might get better and then it might get worse again, or, you know, it might get perceivably more challenging. And so understanding to be able to remove yourself of the expectations of the decision that you're making was really, really helpful for me. The other thing that I learned, and this is kind of, you know, just a, a random thing is that the world of non alcoholic, particularly beer, has come a long way. In my experience, there's just very little difference now between alcoholic beer and non alcoholic beer, whereas in the past, non alcoholic beer used to not taste very good. And so in the summer, you know, on occasion, if I wanted to have a beer, I would have a non alcoholic beer. It just tasted the exact same. And so for that reason, I'm not even sure that I'll go back to to ever drinking regular beer again, um, mainly because I just didn't notice any difference whatsoever. The other thing that non-alcoholic beer was helpful for is, one of the things I noticed is that sometimes when you're trying to make a decision around alcohol, and again, it's so socially acceptable that sometimes if people know that you're doing something like this, um, you get invited out less, and that's okay. That's perfectly fine. People are allowed to you know, make decisions based on their own lives. But one of the things that that non-alcoholic drinks will do is sometimes you can just fool people. You can bring them to parties or whatever, pour it in a glass, and no one would ever really notice um, the difference, and that would allow you to be comfortable and allow them to be comfortable if they were having some discomfort around, you know, let's say it's just a lunch, and they want to have a drink, and they feel uncomfortable with having a drink, then they're able to do that, you're able to do that, and no one's any the wiser. On a note about, you know, sort of being invited out areas less. I mean, for me, I think that often this is a filtering that occurs in, in life around expectations and external pressure, and people being able to either accept you or not accept you in social circles. It's like any major decision in your life, you might retain friends, you might make new friends, you might temporarily step back from friends and then, you know, be reintroduced into friend circles and that's okay and I think that that can be really difficult, particularly if a lot of your friend groups are doing something that you might not necessarily be interested in doing anymore, but there's nothing wrong with that and... I think that sometimes, again, we, we hold on to the idea of the way that our life currently is and we're scared about decisions that we make and the potential negative ramifications of that or how people may perceive it. And a lot of the time we don't start something because of that fear as well as we don't start it because of the fear of just not being able to complete the task. So one of the, th- the biggest things about giving up something that we see as no longer serving us is the idea of failure and the shame around the idea of failure. So that could be anything. It could be alcohol, it could be food, it could be TV, it could be whatever. And the moment that we start thinking about the difficulty around it and questioning subconsciously whether or not we might be able to complete the task... We start to almost feel shame as a result of that. And then if we do fail or slip up, we feel as though like we've just failed and then we bargain ourselves back to our old behavior. So, you know, I was supposed to give up chips for a month and two weeks in I had a bag of chips, so what's the point? And one of the things that I've learned and I don't know where I learned it or I heard it And I think it's been really, really valuable is you may fail, start again, you're not starting over. And a lot of the times when we fail, perceivably fail things, we have this idea that we're starting from ground zero again. So for example, exercise, let's say we have never exercised before and we exercise for four weeks and then we get injured for a week we fall off from the gym. And in our eyes, we're starting over at ground zero. But the reality is, well, you've had four weeks of positive adaptation from exercise. This one week off, you're still going to hold on to some of those positive adaptations. Just start again and start the behavior again. And the idea as well that sometimes when we want to make big changes in our life, they don't always happen on try one. I mean, often they happen on try 15, 16, 17. I mean, we we see that all of the time in people that are, you know, entrepreneurs and try to build a business. And the reason that they got to where they're at is because they built 15 businesses that failed before that. Anytime there is that inherent normal experience of fear, there's also a great potential for upside on the other side of that. The other thing that I learned is that after a period of time, and I think this was probably some of the work I did around personality as well, but being sober in social settings, I was actually more confident. I end up being more talkative. I end up being more comfortable. I end up being more outgoing. And again, this might be virtue of a number of different things. And the thing is now is I just don't have to worry about you know, having a couple of drinks and not sleeping that night or waking up with a headache or waking up feeling irritable or waking up feeling anxious. I don't have to worry about the social pressures. Again, I am comfortable with if someone asks me or wants me to drink and I I don't fault anyone for that. I don't fault anyone that I'm out with. I think it's just the reality of of society. And it's made actually going out a lot more fun. And again, I don't think that is just this particular behavioral change. I think there's a lot that goes into that. But um, it's been interesting to see that the longer time goes on, the, the certainly the more comfortable I feel in social settings. I also feel like the podcast has massively helped that as well, because all you're doing is talking to people. A lot of the time people you don't really know well, One of the other things that I learned is, and I think this is no surprise to anybody, but does the brain ever love a reward even when we haven't really done anything to deserve it? Again, going back to bargaining, you're not drinking so you can eat a bag of chips, you can buy this, you can have this, you deserve this, you can whatever, replace it with whatever, a lot of the time when we remove something that, you know, we perceive as maybe not serving us as well, we try to replace it with something else. And this is a lot of this is like brain chemistry driven by dopamine and the reward system attached to dopamine. But this is something that, you know, I know that I had to be really mindful of, and I'm no different than anybody else in that respect, just because you remove something else, it doesn't necessarily mean that you've earned a reward. And I think that far too often, I'll speak for myself, you give yourself a reward when there really wasn't one that was deserving. A lot of this is related to emotion. It's related to these states that we don't perceive as favorable and we hook onto and then we look for ways to soothe those states through shopping, food, alcohol, what have you. The list goes on. At times, it's okay to what I call sit in the mud, observe states that aren't particularly enjoyable and working with somebody or starting a meditative practice yourself to learn from them, observe them, rather than looking to inherently soothe them through an additional external reward. A a great teacher once told me that everything we tell ourselves that is negative is trying to teach us something positive about ourselves or teach us something about ourselves. And when I heard that, It allowed me to be able to observe rather than immerse myself in particular states. And so having the ability to say, okay, I'm telling myself that I'm, pick your word, I'm a loser right now. Why am I doing that? What is the lesson that's being learned here or what is the positive outcome? Why am I trying to tell myself that? And this is so much often easier said than done. Um, But I think there's something really powerful about that message to be able to often sit with things that are difficult, either under the guidance of a counselor or if you're well-versed in doing it on your own and be able to understand what lesson you may be teaching yourself in that moment. Lastly, I think that overall, you know, my conclusion of this is being sober has been good. It makes decision making very easy. I'm, this is probably comes no surprise to anybody that knows me, but I do very well on black and white rule based stuff. If you're doing it, you're doing it. If you're not doing it, you're not doing it. And gray is not an area that I love to kind of play in. And so it takes a lot of pressure off me. It makes and allows me to have a more enjoyable time. It's made me more productive it's improved, again, over time, those factors, um, mood, sleep, other physical factors uh, have improved over over the course of time, Um, it's saved money, the positive list could go on and on, but if I sit here and I write out, you know, all of the positive things, I'd be writing, 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 and on the, the other side, if there was a positive list to to drinking. I wouldn't really have anything there. And so when I look at that list in its entirety, it, it helps me you know with decision making moving forward. I don't really know it's a new year now. It's whatever date I think it's January 2nd right now. I haven't really made any decisions on, you know, how I'm I'm going to what I'm doing, you know, this year or the foreseeable future. So I'm not saying that uh, I'm going to remove alcohol entirely from my life permanently. It may be something that I reintroduce later. Uh, It may be something that I reintroduce soon. I I really don't know. But I think that this experiment has been a really, really rewarding one. And for me, has been uh, incredibly valuable. And so I thought I would share it with you on what I I learned and I hope that um, you found some value in it just about behaviors, decisions, etc. cetera. I think that if there's one, you know, lesson that, you know, I think I keep telling myself in all of these behavior changes that I'm trying to make in my life and move towards something that I think is a little bit more positive, it's just this idea of start again, don't start over. Starting again versus starting over. What this allows me to do is just see this journey as a path rather than, you know, what I'm so used to, this binary viewpoint of yes and no or right and wrong or achieved or not achieved. And while, you know, my brain doesn't often operate that way, Um, It's been valuable to to take on challenges that work a little bit more in that gray area and allow you to have a little bit of self-compassion along the way because, again, it's seldom that people will get exactly what they're looking for on try number one. So, as always, I hope that you found this episode to be of value to you. Your comments, questions, support of the podcast, again, is always appreciated. I've got a uh, interview coming up in a couple weeks with Tyler Pierce. It's going to be another great conversation, so I'm looking forward to that. Again, if you're interested in having any chats um, yourself on the podcast, feel free to reach out for this season, and we will see you in the next one.